0: our job as business owners and proprietors is to look at that financial statement. It's not to go and drink with the league bowlers. It's not to go and be able to throw a perfect game. Your job, your fiduciary responsibility, whether it's to yourself, if you're a sole owner, great, or to your partners or your buddies or anyone else who's part of your business, is you have to stay on top of that. And that's not always fun.
1: Awesome. So thank you so much for coming on today, Wesley. I'm really looking forward to this conversation. You guys have a really cool backstory and it looks like you came really prepared today. So for pe- the people who haven't had a chance to meet you, tell us a little bit about your yourself and your center.
0: My name is Wesley Hewler. I am the third generation owner-operator of Irvine Lanes in sunny Irvine, California, though not so sunny right now. We have been around since I think 1980 Incorporated and been been here, been part of a, a Back in the 80s, there was not a whole lot here, a lot of farmland, a lot of the rest of Orange County, which was not a lot going on. As time has gone on, we have watched the county grow, and especially Irvine. Yeah, Irvine is, I think, the top three population-wise in Orange County. Now, we've got 300 and something thousand people wow. for a, what used to be considered a small city. So we're, yeah. we're doing fine that wiser demographics. We have a lot of students. UCI is right on the corner. We've a lot of families and we've just sort of watched the center change over the time in the 80s and 90s. And even in the early 2000s, we had a lot of league play. And nowadays it's less of that. So as we've gone on, we've been very diligent with how we operate. We've changed and kind of slimmed down and, and gotten more efficient and better at it. It just takes time and experience. But we're doing pretty well these days. That's we're happy to do it. We have great employees. We have great staff to help us along the way and a lot of experience, a lot of institutional knowledge to help. So that's a little bit of who we are.
1: Yeah. So you said you're third generation, so you're picking it up. I guess if you put in, what, 50 years or so, of almost 50 years of work, you learn a thing along the way.
0: Yeah, absolutely. I mean, that's the the challenge and the benefit, I think, is my grandfather purchased the land and built the property here as one of many projects of a serial entrepreneur. He went from being a doctorate in dentistry and a practicing dentist for many years to turning into golf courses, health clubs, bowling alleys, FECs, anything he could get his hands on or talk his buddies into investing with him in. So this is one of the fewer main recreational centers. And it is, it's a process. I mean, you start out really young and you're getting into the family business and you're wandering around. And at first you're just, uh, my dad had a joke growing up where when you walk into these businesses as one of us, it's you're the SOB, you're the son of the boss. And that comes yeah. with it. Some good and bad things. But, you know, we learned pretty early on our, my grandfather and my dad and my parents made us work pretty, pretty early and low in the totem pole, I think, okay. uh, to learn the facility and learn how things grow up. So we've been through customer service. We've been through working with mechanics, snack bar, everything you can think of. I've, dear God, I've made so many pizzas at snack bar, but now I'm, my official title is CIO and the managing officer. So... I'm one of the managing officers here along with my brother and my father. We, yeah, it's the good part is like to work with the family I get along with very well every day. The rough part I think would just be through the process of time and to my credit of both my grandfather and my father, they have been very diligent about letting us kind of learn and figure it out and some mistakes, some of them less expensive than others, but we you know, learn right. through the process. That's how you gotta do it. Otherwise you never feel yeah. like it's your responsibility. Right.
1: That's a sting a little bit sometimes. Um,
0: yeah. Right. If, was it, failures is, is the critical part of the learning process. So they were a good guide in that process to help us along the way. But they've done a great job, which on the other end of the spectrum, which is if you have 30, 40, 50 years of experience in this industry, it's easy to resist change. Right. It's easy to get stuck in the ways you've done things forever. And they haven't. They have trained us the same way and said, Hey, you're going to go out, you're going to go to college, you're going to learn a bunch of things, bring it back. Help us figure out what we need to do differently than we've been doing and at least give us an idea. So, the, being able to walk into something and being willing to learn from it has been good for, I think, both sets of generations in this. Right. It's been fun. It's mm-hmm. at its rough times. COVID was a real interesting bit, but it's been good. And these days, we just wrapped up. May was a little bit slower. I think a little bit, April was starting to slow down, but the January, February, and March were all time record highs for the company. So, we're. Congrats. we are bounced back we're doing okay
1: yeah yeah it just took a little bit i'm sure yeah but yeah i like that the approach i guess that they take is that obviously you're leveraging 40 to 50 years of experience but then you're also still introducing new ideas by having you and in, in, inject that into the team so it sounds like it was always kind of the goal or idea was to have you work in the business here they sent you out to learn some things come back started from the bottom worked your way up and now here you are today
0: yeah. So I, I got started doing some digital menu stuff for us back when we first put TVs in the snack bar as opposed to okay. signs. I don't know, it's probably about 16 or 17. And then I went to college and got a computer science and telecommunications degree. So my background is in some programming, more IT and like sysadmin level positions. So, and then I came back to work for the company full time in 2013. So I've been here about 10 years and about five of those as a, a managing partner, basically. But yeah a lot of my background is technology and that's been good i think overall i again part of those some have been some of the mistakes we were talking about before right you learn you try some things go oh, that did not do what we thought it would do right. but that's okay that's how you get better and you find a bunch of ways not to, to throw a bowling ball basically but right. yeah it's also yielded some really good relationships so we've worked closely in the past with on occasion and gotten to test out some fun stuff that's part of that tech field and you don't get to, to do those kind of things if you're not willing to try some stuff and try some stuff that may or may not work. And so, I most of it, to their credit, has worked out really well for us. And we've used that sort of a little bit forward. We I think we like to say that we're on the cutting edge, but hopefully not the bleeding edge. But we try and be around there. So, some years are better than others, but we it's you got to adapt. You know, at the end of the day, if a market is advancing. Your demographics are changing, and you don't adapt, the business dies. And right. so we've we've tried to be stay on top of that as much as we could. So early adaptation of social media marketing back in the late 2000s, just pushing on areas that needed to get pushed, and that's helped us a lot. But you know, I mean, we still have a pretty solid league group of customers, and balancing the modern things with projection and everything else, and keeping a customer base that's been reliable and. And, and good customers for so long is part of the challenge, I think, but especially for other centers, I mean, we are in the minority with what limited number we have for. Right, leagues.
1: right. Well, let's hang there if, if you'll indulge sure. me on the technology side, because I think this is an industry that could really use some technology, but I also think it's one that's kind of realizing that and they are moving that way some faster than others, but. Talk to me a little bit about maybe some of the areas that you're seeing technology implemented into the center.
0: I agree. I definitely think we've watched probably in the past 10 or 15 years or so, the industry finally accepted they have to be on top of this, right? Mm-hmm. It was putting in digital scoring systems was pulling teeth for people. Right. It was a change from running all of these old analog systems and cables and everything else to you have just a network Ethernet cable running everything now. And it cleaned up a lot of stuff and expanded the potential for what you could do with a bowling center, with what you could do with just the pins and the lanes and the ball, right? There's, it allowed us to adapt to a new demographic that was coming up that was less interested in the sport, the sort of higher echelon of of bowling, and more interested in just the fun the family and the the friendly competition with friends or college students or roommates or whatever it was. And so... Pushing into that has helped us adapt demographics and just be more efficient. A lot of centers who struggle, I think, with even things like point of sale and like adapting technology to the boring parts of business, which is, Hey, how can we gather more data about our sales, about our customers for how they spend and how they want to spend and use that to make better business decisions? that can be a challenge. And especially if you don't have any way or idea of how to get that information, you're kind of left floundering. It's just, like, well, what right. do we do? Where do we get this? And so that's where occasionally going out and talking to a million vendors at Bolex parts and like that is, is useful, right? Like seeing what is out there and understanding like, okay, even if 80% of this doesn't really apply to me, if you f- can find one or two things and go, okay, maybe this is something we should try. Like it may work. It may not work. Sometimes you got to spend money and sometimes it- and just got to let it die, but you learn something. And we're back mm-hmm. to if you keep pushing on the innovative areas, you will find ways to make it a better business. So I think for the next sort of up and coming bits, this is we went over the stuff that, that has happened going forward. I see a lot more automation hitting us faster than I think a lot of people are going to be comfortable with as labor prices increase as everything else. I mean, out here, I don't know where it is for most of your audience, but it, you can... Get a job at Del Taco down the street for eighteen bucks an hour. That yeah. makes customer service rep, reps pretty hard to find for college students. Right. So things like I know Cuba just released a new kiosk system. That's going to be a lot, right? That that if you can if you can shave off thirty person line at your front desk and make that easier, you're improving customer experience. You're improving reliability of service there, and you can have less people staffed. And so it's finding the balance of. When do we use technology to make this an actually better experience for our customers without sacrificing the actual personal experience as well? You still have to have customer service people. You still have to have people out there interacting with your customers, or they're just going to feel abandoned. They're going to feel not attended to. So another tech piece. Everything from that to like bar. We installed the first metered gun system here, I think 25 years ago. And holy crap, it's been a genius move on our part just because you can watch your inventory and your shrinkage and everything else just disappear. So it's trying to find ways to apply technology to boring areas helps a lot. That's just sort of the business analytics piece of this is knowing what information to look at is super helpful. And then knowing how to apply technology to those problems, that part's much harder. So it's going to be a process. Yeah,
1: absolutely. Are there other examples you can think of of, places you guys have used technology, maybe some of these other boring examples that other people could do today and to implement either POS or online reservations,
0: online orders, Yes, web like reservations. That. that was my next line item. We were not early to that. We were starting it forward and we our, our GM initially was, I think, a little hesitant. We were, I mean, we were so busy a lot of times anyway that he just saw it as something else to complicate things and he was just trying to keep keep fires from exploding and trying to keep things going. And we right. finally got him into doing it and uh, to his credit, he likes the revenue we get out of that. And we went from doing a thousand to 3000 bucks a month and all the reservations to averaging about 50, 60,000 a month in reservations. And then during the past, probably six to eight months has been somewhere around a hundred thousand a month in reservations and just yeah. web res. That's, yeah. that's crazy. And that's, that allows you to fill those little gaps and, again, it's automation. Mm-hmm. It's one more phone call that your sales staff can focus on bigger parties and bigger groups exactly. and use that time wisely. If your phones are ringing off the hook all the time, you got to weed through the single double lane things that just are going to be boilerplate. and You don't need to have the conversation.
1: Exactly. Uh, answer revenue or, or if it's outside of business hours. Yeah.
0: We... Sometimes mm-hmm. you get college students who want to book a reservation at 10 o'clock at night. They're not calling anybody then, because even if we rehab people at the desk, but I guarantee you they're not looking to answer phones because yeah. they're dealing with forty people at the door.
1: And college um, kids don't make calls anyway.
0: Yeah, right. They don't like like they're the phone. they're not even gonna text you. So right, who, who cares? Yeah, you got to have an online presence. You got to have the ability to see and interact with your customers in a way that is comfortable to them. Like we we may not like it, we may not feel comfortable with what it is in certain occasions, but they're the market right? The adage of the customer is always right. is not about the person yelling at you at the front desk, right. Right? it's about what the customer, what your market trend says. Yeah. What do, does your customer base want? And if you can't, if you can't adapt that, if you can't provide what your customer base wants, your only options are you stop being a functioning business where you find a different customer base. And for a lot right. of businesses, that's not possible anymore. So we have to keep adapting and you have to meet mm-hmm. your customer where they're at.
1: Absolutely. Yeah. The pluralistic customer is always right. Maybe not an individual customer. Yes.
0: Yeah. Rarely is the individual customer right. (laughs) Right. Uh, Yes. Holy smokes. Yes.
1: One other thing I wanted to ask you about the online reservations is what has that done for your average ticket? Because I hear a lot of theories about how separate purchases almost like wipes clean the slate of the purchase because it's like a week or a few days prior. And when they come in the building, they're willing to spend even more. What effect have you seen on your average ticket from that perspective?
0: I would have to pull the exact numbers on that. It's, it's a measurable increase. And I don't want to give you a percentage because I don't want to mislead you. But yes, we have observed that exact same trend. The psychological separation between I've paid X and mm-hmm. it's a week later, even two days later, yeah. people just forget what they spent a second ago. Oh, well, now I'm just doing this. I've already paid for it. What's another 20 bucks? What's another couple of cocktails? Mm-hmm. What's another anything else? Removing friction between your customer and spending money is always going to be a better idea and not lumping it into a giant sum right when you get there is a good way to remove friction. The online, the long lane ordering systems and finding ways to make sure people can quickly do value adds and again, increases your average ticket price. Mm-hmm. Um, they want to order drinks, making sure you're attentive with whether it's lane waitresses or anything or anybody who's down there serving people in the lanes. It's one less step of friction. They don't have to get up. They don't have to do anything else. Their right. car is already in file. They don't have to think about pulling it out again. Uh, These little things you can do require some initial setup, but for the most part, it's not that complicated of a process once it's going. But yeah, our average take, I mean, especially when you just look at the added revenue you get from reservation fees alone. We were shocked a little while ago when we were talking to some of the proprietors and we had been charging like a dollar for on the reservation fees and everything. And we thought that was egregious for what it was. And we find out some of these guys are charging like eight bucks a ton. Yeah. I'm like, whoa. So of course our GM then immediately decided that was a free and clear way to raise that to I think three dollars now. We're mm-hmm. we're still a pretty good deal. I mean, I think that's the crazy part for us. Most of our competitors are one of two extremes, right? You have much older centers that I'm I won't name that are have been around for a long time, older than us, probably 10, 15 years more older. And They feel it. They have not adapted. They have not updated their look and feel. You get the classic people walk in, they see a kind of grungy 70s era bowling center, and not only the place they want to take their kids, it's not only something they want to spend family time with. The number one bit of feedback we get from any customer, students, families, league bowlers, is man, your facility is really clean. It's really nice. Listen to somebody else you're talking, the bathrooms are really nice holy cow does that stuff matter oh. if you don't if your customer doesn't feel comfortable and safe and clean walking into your center they're not going to come back because that's what's going to stick with them when they walk out the door mm-hmm. not the great cocktail they had not the fun with the different bowling games they had down the lanes this stuff matters you got to handle the basics for the hierarchy maslow's hierarchy kind of thing if they don't feel safe they're not going to do the higher level of the higher pain things yeah so mm-hmm.
1: Yeah. Yeah. I really like that as a yeah,
0: Maslow's hierarchy. It's, yeah. It's sorry. Really We're cool. back into some psychology mm-hmm. fun there. It's, it's a new makes, out of science. It makes podcast. total sense. Total yeah.
1: If the basic things like cleanliness aren't in there, then how can they self
0: actualize with
1: expensive drinks?
0: Right. Exactly. Because that's where mm-hmm. self actualization needs to be.
1: <laughs> exactly. Oh, man. Uh, yeah. That's really cool. Cool. So I know you came prepared. What are some other things you guys see working in your center today?
0: So I think we, the there's two pieces I would, touch on so the first one is like I'm mean, speaking of even just like the self-actualization of high and liquor we've watched a trend there change back in the day I mean, back i say back in the day 10 15 years ago even you had the quintessential basics that everyone had right but like who was like we are never in sellers yeah. you had everything else and that was it i mean if you tried to put on other fancy stuff you were gonna have a hard time selling that blue moon came in and that was a little bit of a help but i coors like we only have coors on anymore and we have we've only had Coors on for years now. Everything else we have is higher end product. It's your local breweries, IPAs. It's your stuff that's well known, well marketed, especially for your area. And then we started carrying higher end liquor, which I you're used to. League Boulders doing shots of Fireball, carrying higher end bourbon or single malt Scotch would have made zero sense. Yeah, and it works. It sits back to working. I know my dad is jumping up and down because he's tried to carry higher end stuff for years and it's never worked. Yeah. And uh, yeah, and we put in a a separate little shelf area and everything else and displayed it and marketed it. And suddenly it it popped our bar revenue up by a measurable amount every month. And that stuff changes. Your demographics are changing and you have to be aware of that and you have to be paying attention and trying things. Just because something's worked for so long in an area of your facility, whether it's a snack bar, but it's the bar whether it's in entertainment or games or anything else you have always be just poking and prodding and trying stuff because you'll otherwise you'll miss it. You'll miss the change and you'll miss a way to maximize revenue in doing so. The other piece that I would recommend. Can is-
1: we, we hold on that one one a little bit longer? Cause I think that paints a perfect picture of some of the things you've been talking about. So you're trying different things. You see one takes and you ramp it up. What is the process of you guys trying that the first time? Or do you sneak up with the doers to a Johnny, to like Johnny Walker? Like how, like how did you guys discover that was something that people wanted?
0: So we are always asking our customers, what would you like to see? If someone asks for something that we don't have, we try, hey, I have a bartender just write it down. Hey, ask something. And the more we keep track of that, so it starts out super small bartender has a little notepad she's writing something down every once in a while and that turned into hey let's start throwing some stuff out there right a decent bottle of bourbon or liquor or tequila is a big one right now rums coming up it doesn't cost that much guys your trial rate on this is not that hard yeah, right if it's 50 bucks if it's 100 bucks where it is throw a bottle up there give it a reasonable price get people accustomed to oh i can get something here that isn't well, whatever it is in that barrel over there, it's sticky and I don't want to look at. Yeah, Get them used to associating you with a higher value and higher quality product. Same goes for food. And they'll remember that. They'll And they'll stop mm-hmm. thinking about, oh, I need a pregame before I come bowling. Or, oh, I need to go get food before I come there because your food yeah. makes me not want to eat. Right, exactly. Uh, you got to be willing to listen to what your customer base is saying. And that doesn't just mean listen to what they're saying to you, look around you. Look at what else is becoming in demand. Try and fit yourself into that model. If you can be one more thing that they don't have to leave your center for, great. And this is not anything new or revolutionary. This is classic business. Right. Keep people here, keep them comfortable, and give them what they want. That's what the market demands. It seems rudimentary for me to not do that.
1: Right. so, okay. So it's mostly about keeping an ear to the ground as well as asking them and seeing what the demands there and just little test samples. Yeah,
0: I'm being willing to try stuff, right? Like we, we bought a bunch of bottles that stayed up there. One bottle stayed up there for three or four months. Hey, that's a failure. That It just is, right? That's okay. That is okay. It is not the end of the world. And that's, you got to be willing to try some stuff and spend money. It's just, it's thinking it's a form of marketing and advertising. You're going to spend money occasionally that doesn't reach the audience you want it to, Right. that's okay. The mm-hmm. more you do it, you'll hit those points that more than make up for those little mistakes. Excuse me. We have allergies and everything else going around right now. No, yeah. nuts. Oh, um, so Yeah. I mean, I wish I had a fancy high tech thing. I'm sure I could come up with one, but the answer to your actual question is what did we do? How did we do it the first time? We just tried, right? Like we've always had a night bar. It wasn't, it didn't have quite the dive bar feel, but our bartenders have been there a long time. Our lead bartender has worked for us for 20 something years. That's sort of a common theme with us though, is our, some, our sales, our lead coordinator has been with us for probably 25 ish. Our mechanics have been with us at a, I mean, we just hired two new mechanics. Before that, our mechanics, the the one who'd been with us the least amount of time was like 15 or 16 years. Wow, One of our mechanics has been with us for 30 years. Mm -hmm. Our CFO, 40 years. Our bookkeeper, probably 25 to 30 years. We try and run a ship full of people who know what they're doing. And again, if that's me not micromanaging and getting involved in every single decision, then that's doing something right. It let's right. me look at the financials. Let's look at season. It lets me look occasionally for fun at what we're selling in our bar, right? It's sort of the opposite of what I just said, right? That is micromanaging, but it lets me say, hey, feel empowered to try stuff, right? If I'm not breathing down their neck and saying, hey, this bar better be driving this, hey, try something. If something doesn't work out, that's fine. Explain to me the logic of what you tried to do. Great. Right? You're not going to get kicked back from me. That mentality gets put on to our GM and he passes that on. If he can feel comfortable and empowered, trying things out you're going to let people expand their best ability and so i all this all of the different things you talked about you know hey how do you do these new things you got to be willing to let people try stuff and that includes sometimes buying alcohol that doesn't sell
1: right so okay so empowerment is that's a pretty staggering number for retention is to have that many people there for that long yeah besides empowerment what else would you credit towards that
0: so i would say a lot of this comes back to the next conversation which is understanding the value of employees that are good employees, right? It's we, in the post COVID world, this has been hard for lower level employees, customer service, things like that. Turnover Mm -hmm. is still higher than we'd like it there. Before COVID, I realized most of our customer service reps were a lot of students and we still had our average turnover for a customer service rep is two to three years. They would come back every single year or they'd come for the summer. They do whatever it is. Our GM has done a great job in, in, Vetting people and bringing them on, and not being afraid to pay them something for that. Right? I think people get really held up, and oh, I just gotta—I can't pay them that extra fifty cents an hour, or I can't pay them the extra dollar an hour. And you run into two major problems. At the lower level with CSs, you wind up with higher turnover, especially in a competitive labor market. When unemployment yeah. is as low as it is right now, you are competing for everything. We've had—we've had interview sessions. We've had eight people scheduled for interviews in a day, and one of them shows up. And when you call the 7 they're not lazy. They had other offers that said, hey, sorry, I just, I can't afford to not take this. Right. Cool. More power to you. Being willing to respect people's time and their efforts and their value lets you retain people and better employees will deliver better concepts, better assistance with management. It helps you train and groom and bring up people to do management positions as right. supervisors. And I think most importantly reduces the cost of you having to train someone to do this. In a customer service rep, train the person from scratch to do it well, maybe a month. If it's they're involved with parties or corporate groups, it might take longer, two to three months. That's two to three months of needing to double staff something right. to train somebody. Or it should yeah. be.
1: Yeah, if you're not doing service.
0: That, yeah. If you're not doing that, if you are not making sure that you're have people that do this job well you're not going to deliver on that product you're not going to have the customer retention that you want our customer retention is really high because we deliver on a product and that's not that we just roll over if someone is problematic i mean we live in irvine we live in orange county california we have a lot of very entitled customers who who feel certain things very strongly So we back our staff, we make them feel valued. And that, again, back to empowering your staff to make decisions and sometimes make mistakes within reason. That's important. And so that ties into the last piece. At the end of the day, it's a job. They're not here because, oh my gosh, they love you and they want to come to work and they just can't wait to show up the next day. They're there because it's a job. They're there to show up and work. And part of that comes with pay and compensation. You have to respect what the market is demanding. And this especially applies right now to mechanics. Our mechanics have gotten a load of pay raises in the past year or two, at least. And we've always paid our mechanics fairly well and treated them very well. We have massive inroads early on in our industry and safety and everything else. We worked with everyone from our insurance brokers to OSHA to design a bunch of stuff for our center specifically mm. that reduces injuries, keeps people healthy, help, you know, makes them feel better about working the environment they do. But when it comes to mechanics in the day, they need to feel valued because we're in an industry right now where there's no supply of mechanics. There's no supply of this job. And demand for them is still through the roof. Poaching's occurring every day. I get it. Everyone gets it. No one complains about it anymore because we all do it. You got to be willing to do that and recognize the cost of that decision. Everyone, we're on a business game. Everyone wants to talk about a free market until it bites them in the butt. That's what we've run into, right? This is like... What happens when your supply is all the way down here and your demand is all the way up here? This is Econ 101. Your right. price goes to the roof, guys. They got they've earned it, they've got this position, they have the experience. If you a mechanic with 20 30 years of experience, that's it, There's they're all that's left. It's yeah, you have one person who's under the age of I think 50 as a mechanic, really? yeah, wow. and he's getting trained, he's figuring it out. But most of our guys a, have been with us a long time. We have three, I think, A-mechanics mm-hmm. here that are full-time. I, nobody has that around us anymore. Everyone yeah. has an A-mechanic that rotates between four different centers.
1: Right, yeah. They're literally yeah. a dying breed.
0: Yeah, it really is. And I, it's we've starting to make inroads a tiny bit in pulling younger people in and training them and being willing. But, man, I got to tell you, it, this is where you find out really fast. Hey, you can't bring on somebody to intern and, or apprentice for a mechanic For 18 bucks an hour for a little bit of a minimum wage it's Mm -hmm. too much work it's too hard and so you gotta be willing to pay him and the alternative is well, i don't want to pay him that much then you're not going to have mechanics yeah and then you're going to have lanes down you're going to have problems and every hour yeah every hour that lane is down is costing you money and if if that doesn't add up over a few days until text mechanic get out there if that lane being down isn't costing you as much money as it would take to pay somebody, then you need more customers. You need to be busier and you need to raise your prices probably because right. that's the market adaptation is you need to be busy. You need to be hurting when those lanes are down and right. that's just develop your program.
1: Yeah. Yeah. It makes total sense. Like we were saying that you pay for it one way or another, whether it's through missed business or paying the person, which is really the way to go. Because yeah.
0: You're, you're Only one of those of- brings you revenue.
1: Right. because, Retention is or churn is very expensive. Retraining yes.
0: people, bringing them on, um, and it's, you know, a it's not cost that people forget exactly. all the time. That's what
1: I was gonna say. Yeah, it's not on the PL, but it is a huge cost.
0: Yeah, man, why have my labor so high? I feel like we haven't had we only just be a little higher if you.
1: Right. Well, it's yeah, hidden in there.
0: Yeah.
1: Because you have, sure. like you said, double staff or they don't do the job quite as well. So yeah. it sounds like as far as your high retention, higher quality people because they will manage well, quality management. And then it seems in every time I talk to someone who has really good retention, it seems like the management is good. They have good leaders. It really yep. comes down to leadership. Cause people, the number one reason people leave a job is because of their boss, not yep. liking them. So They're if you happy. have, exactly. So if you have good managers, you have the retention in, in order to have the good managers, you gotta pay them yep. and empower them.
0: Yep. Yeah. Yep. And it's, you gotta be willing to, yeah. It's, yeah. And it's the, what may feel like a, I could never afford to pay this person that much money one second can change right like it's we went from looking for an assistant gm or an assistant manager for a little bit and we were just we had an idea in mind what we wanted this position to look like what we wanted to pay it just didn't make sense didn't pan out couldn't find anybody you got if you can't find something that fits your expectations you got to change your expectations because if those don't have the reality you're not going anywhere yeah just be willing to adapt whether it's in your market whether it's in your demographic whether it's what you're selling or who you're paying. If you can't adapt, you will die. It's just right. the rules of business.
1: Absolutely. Yeah, 101. And it, it almost sounds like you're, there's two markets, right? You got your employee market and your customer market. And you're just basically every business is the middleman
0: between the two. Yeah, it's you're dancing, you're juggling plates between them trying to keep them both stable. And it's, exactly. not, it's the work. That's the job of your upper management, and your, your managing partners, your mm-hmm. job is to make sure that all that stays stable. And that you, a case, you're going to have to deal with HR issues. You're going to have to deal with people. These are all people. They're all broken people. They're all going to say and do stupid things sometimes. And that's where it takes time and training and balance to understand how do I mitigate this? It's the problem with a lot of the the management end of this is they don't want to be managers of people in it. And it's like, you have to, right? In the ideal world, sure. We have our financial statements. We get our, our partnership checks and we go on to the day. Sometimes the job involves the stuff that just sucks. It's sitting in the meetings, whether it's, hey, we have to term somebody, hey, this came up and we have to figure out what went wrong. You know, having a good HR person matters a lot. Yeah. Staying on top of requirements, stay on top of this. It is a full-time job to stay on top of the requirements and trainings and everything else that we have, especially in California here. Yeah. But we have a cleaner, better center for it. And our, it shows in our workers' comp fees. It shows in our insurance rates. It shows in everything we do. Again, technology, right? So insurance rates. We used to have a very high liability insurance bill every year. When we put in more and more advanced security systems that could monitor and see when someone slips and falls in the lane. Hey, here's the over the lane camera that shows exactly how far over the foul line they went. The answer is about three feet. It's, it wasn't a slippery approach, folks. It's mm-hmm. had four beers and then tried to run down a lane. Right, and our liability insurance loves us. We can turn yeah. around, and hand them the copy of that footage, and our claims drop to nothing, which means our bills drop to nothing. Right, finding the boring bits to nip and tuck and clean up a business, but that's this is the same thing we yeah. do with any of the businesses we operate. Right, and we are business people; we're not bowlers. I wish I was better at bowling. I'm not. This is what we do.
1: I love that. Yeah, I think there's a huge lesson to be found in that: is to replace or find the boring bits of the business and replace it with technology. I love that. Yeah. If I had anyone one takeaway so far, I'd say that's it.
0: Yeah, let technology do this boring stuff for you and make you better at your own job. Right. This right. is the quintessential question of computer science: is what can be automated? Yeah, that matters a lot in mm-hmm. every possible industry. Just ask ChatGPT to go do it for you. It's fine. Right. <laughs> yeah.
1: Exactly. <laughs> Definitely been using that
0: lately. <laughs> oh man, that's I just mm-hmm. set up a, a shortcut on my phone to where when I to say "Hey Siri, be better," it it calls up. Chat GPT is an app for me. No, no really. <laughs> yeah, it is. It is a higher form, right? What else do we, anything else we need to touch on?
1: Yeah, let's touch a little bit on the generational aspect and then that maybe where you see things going over the next 12 to 18 months, because I know we are coming up to time.
0: Yeah. So part of the generational process for us has been knowing the exit plan. And this will differ for everybody. There's only so much... Of institutional knowledge you can extrapolate to other people. So we, on our property next door to us, we own the land in Irvine, which is a pretty uncommon thing. The Irvine company is the largest private real estate company in the country. And they own something like 85 to 90% of all land in Irvine. We are some of the last privately held stuff here, which means the land is highly valued. For a lot of centers who own the land, there's If you're in a populated area, especially, you're going to start seeing shifts to things like mixed use, where you're going to have, people still want the entertainment, people still want that part, but you're not going to be looking at a traditional center where you just have a bowling center and nothing else. Mm -hmm. Land is too valuable. So we have an FEC next door to us, Boomers, and their long-term lease is up in a few years here. And our... Current exit plan is, hey, we get offers all the time from people looking to develop this land into something other than a bowling center for unbelievable numbers, north of a $100 million. What? Guys, there's no bowling center in the world that can make, can justify <laughs> you being on a piece of land that's worth a $100 million. You just right. can't do it. And so now that land could be worth that if you have a bowling center and a bunch of apartments above it or and a bunch of condos or something else. We're going to have to better adapt to a changing market in terms of what our centers are for and what they're the focus of. A lot of cities, a lot of places that are being pressured by their states to put in more housing are loving the idea of mixed use. as something where you have 20, 30 lanes of bowling on the first floor, or you have some sort of boutique entertainment down there, and then places above that, it gives people something to do. There's more apartment complexes being built out here that have an entire shopping area below that's shopping, it's food, it's restaurants, It's entertainment. And then housing above that, right? It's again, pardon the cliche, but somewhat European is the idea here. Because it works, right? Right. It it works well. It lets people have housing that doesn't cost $4,000 a month in rent like it is out here. And it's just, we got to be willing to adapt. So for us, we were all sort of growing up in the process of, okay, look, this next cycle, this next 15 to 20 year lease, when this is up, it's going to be your responsibility to, to work out how this goes. And You're so saying I, you,
1: I, your responsibility. Yes. Personally. So okay.
0: my, I right now it's me. I'm trying to loop my brother in more on it, and make and shove some of it off on him. But I get phone calls a couple, three times a month at least. Hey, we we know you have the land. We'd love to come out and make a deal. We want to make this happen. It's, okay, and you have to go through and explain the whole process and have this negotiation bit ready to go. And things change, right? You got to be ready to adapt to. Hey, the market's down. Hey, we just had a recession. Hey, we just had a pandemic. All of your plans are different now. And so for us, it was working through that and kind of keeping an eye on things, but that's, and we're back to the regular process. We have a few more years, we'll reevaluate where things are and understand that sometimes the best use for a business or facility, because it's a business, the most, the best and highest use of that property is not to be there. And that's always have an exit strategy. When do I pull the plug? because some businesses a lot of businesses will have that runtime and I mm-hmm. think a lot of proprietors struggle with that you know, this has been my family for generations I get it this is I grew up here this facility this buildings are a decade older than I am and I'm feeling older and older by the day so it's stuff matters I right. get it there's there is mm-hmm. an inevitable attachment to that from both the community and the people who sure. operate it and own it but that's not what we're doing here. What we're doing here is operating a business. Right. And balancing that with what is ethical and healthy is always pertinent, but what are we supposed to be doing here? And we have a i responsibility to all my other partners. I have a responsibility to make sure that this is what is best for this facility and this company. So, for us, we have an exit plan. We know what we're going to do and in the meantime, we're not slacking off. We're not, oh, you know what? We got three or four more years, we'll ride this out, bump our salaries, and just be done with it. Yeah. We operate, we're gonna run another 10 or 20 years because that's what helps us be the best where we're at. Right. And so we have a great center, we have a great staff, we our customer base is awesome. We just get to keep going and we we keep churning out cash to everybody because that's mm-hmm. that's what we're here to do. But it's easy to get caught up in either end of it. It's easy to get caught up in look at look how close that is. I'm just not going to bother anymore. Or, oh my gosh, this is never going to go away. How much what am I going to do? Keep keep the plan going. A have a plan and B keep it going and be ready to change the plan. Do you
1: think that having other businesses outside of the center helps keep in perspective the fact that it is just a business, whereas someone else might be if that's their only business, that's their baby. Do you think that gives you better perspective?
0: I think so. Again, I think so because that's my experience, right? That's the right. Worst. Yeah, but, counterfactual. Yeah, right. I it would I'd love to, to debate somebody who thinks two things. Otherwise, I think it'd be a fun conversation to have, but like it's, mm-hmm. I can't imagine how it wouldn't, right? I think you have, there is so many similarities between businesses you'd never think about, right? Like when I started doing this years and years ago, I was coming to our weekly Tuesday financial meetings when I was 16, 17, and it bored the crap out of me. It was terrible. <laughs> These are like two, three hour long meetings, and we're in different times now than we were then. Where we're struggling to, again, this is two thousand eight, right? Things are bad. We're trying to figure out how to keep things going. We still had a mortgage yeah. then. We had a, yeah, we had a debt. So it was, it's tough, right? You start yeah. that, and then you get better at it, and you get into the business, and you understand, okay, they're just numbers. At the end of the day, it doesn't matter as long as the numbers make sense and the business is doing well. That's fine. And so then I get roped in to an FEC in Arizona. And I get more involved in the tech in there than I ever wanted to be. But again, same thing. We're in those meetings every week, understanding what we can do with this business to keep it stable and eventually return it to profitability. But this is kind of what my direct family gets called in to do a lot of times. Is we come into businesses where we're your capital partners or we're someone else and it's something's going wrong, right? It's this is the FEC in Arizona is when we got there, the previous ownership the, who are the managing partners, we're not doing so hot and we come in and we look at it like a business. It doesn't matter that, Hey, this is where this person's family has come every week for the last five years. Yeah, that's great. That's a good thing. That means you're doing something right, but you have to treat it like it's a business. And so whether it's that or whether it's the agriculture that we were involved in, my, my grandfather's first my grandfather's first foray into business, aside from being a doctor, was agriculture. He invested in land in California for pistachios, almonds, and that's done very well. And I am now on some of those boards. And I got to tell you, at the end of the day, it's a financial statement. Yes, the industries are completely different. Yes, a lot of the principles we apply need to be adapted a little bit, but the principles remain the same. The way you operate a business. The things you look at for something's going wrong or needs to be improved are the same. What's your labor? Where's your revenue coming from? How do we clean things up and make this more efficient of an operation? Automation. It just It's the same things we apply to and we've been applying since the Industrial Revolution. It's the same right. stuff we do. The more experience you can have in a diversity of businesses like this, it's not that it's, oh, it's less important to understand this industry. Guys, we have people here who really understand the bowling industry very yeah. well. Good. That's what they're there for. You hire them, you keep them happy, and you make sure that they stay confident in that because you're relying on them. That's part of the delegation process. That's why you keep good people who know that. We're involved in golf still. My golf game, I'm lucky if I can finish 18 holes. <laughs> but we have people that know that industry that really well. And our job as business owners and proprietors is to look at that financial statement. It's not to go and drink with the league bowlers. It's not to go and be able to throw a perfect game. Your job, your fiduciary responsibility, whether it's to yourself, if you're a sole owner, great, or to your partners or your buddies or anyone else who's part of your business, is you have to stay on top of that. And that's not always fun. It's not always easy. Some days it's really hard. That's what we're here to do. And if you don't want to have that job, then it's probably time to go do something else.
1: You have to work for someone else. That's part of being the owner.
0: Yeah, for better or for worse. Yeah. <laughs> right. yeah. Uh, did, highs, I, did I miss lows. anything you wanted me to touch on?
1: No, I think that was awesome. I really enjoyed coming at it from a purely business standpoint. You guys obviously have a lot of experience across a wide array of businesses, and it's really cool to see that thinking applied to the bowling and FEC entertainment. Really cool yeah. to pick those up and see how it all kind of, like you said, at the end of the day, it's all financial statements. Yeah, and being able to apply that lens to it, even if it is your baby, but having that across for the business is really cool.
0: Yeah, and I don't want to diminish people. It's something you shouldn't take pride in what you do. You should, right? If right. you have a business that runs well, that people love coming to, and families love coming in, and bringing their friends and their kids, that's awesome. Take pride yeah. in that. Talk to them. Interact with your customers. It helps you better understand who is there and who they are. It's just, you need to be able to have a separation for a lot of this when it comes to making tough decisions. Because right. if all you see in those times where you have to make those hard calls is you know that very personal relationship with your customers or even your employees, man, that'll kill you. I mean, it's, yeah. I watched my dad go through this when he was younger. I did the same thing and I'm, I'm gonna be able to do it. I'll do it differently. Right. I'll build these super tight relationships with the people that someday you're gonna have to have really ugly conversations with. Yeah. And it's, you gotta have a healthy separation. And it's, it's tough, but that's the job. And at the end yeah. of the day, it can still be rewarding when you can see the people who work for you be happy. They're coming to Christmas parties, and they're just having a great time, and they're grateful, and they hang with you for 20 or 30 years. Right. Look, I don't, we don't tend to be perfect here. We've done our fair share of screw-ups, but I'm good with that. If at the end of the yeah. day, we walk away from this project, and we have employed people for 30 or 40 years, and had them be happy to walk away from that. So man, that was a great job. Cool. I've done right yeah. by my employees. Hey, what have we distributed to partners over this life, lifespan of this partnership? If it's that number of return looks good, then I'm happy with what we've done there. Right. It's a balance, but it's that's a responsibility. That's the ethical position of an owner.
1: Yeah, so, and I've beautifully said. Couldn't agree more. I love that separation, but you know it is relationships, but it's a business at the same time and that's the balance. owner's position. Exactly. Love it. Great. Well, yeah, this has been awesome, Wesley. Really to enjoy the conversation. Sure. If anyone wants to reach out to you to, to learn more, or maybe they put an offer on that property, what's the best way to get in touch with you? Or what do you want to plug?
0: Oh uh, boy. I should have was So you can reach us at IrvineLanes.com. That's probably the easiest way to get hold of us is give us a call, come in, say, hi, I'm around most days of the week and I live shockingly close to the facility. So if you ever want to come say hi, please come reach chat. We'd love to, to sit and throw you on a game of bowling or, or, or grab a drink. But we uh, we have a really good group of customers. We have a really good group of staff. Yeah. So I'd say uh, events at IrvineLanes.com if you want to come schedule something out. Other than that, we're just happy to be here. We're happy to serve the community that we're in.
1: Right on. Yeah, well, this has been very enjoyable. Appreciate it, Wesley. Thanks for coming on. Sure.